0: a few years ago, uh, Ava was taking uh, a dance, and it was her dance instructor's first year to teach, and these little six-year-old girls were a handful. It didn't matter what she told them, they would do the opposite. Every day when I took Ava in, I told her, no matter what the other kids do, you mind your instructor. You do what she says. When she says remain seated, you remain seated. When she tells you not to talk, you stay quiet. One day I had one of those proud daddy moments. The parents sit in an area separated from the girls, but there's a glass that you can you can look through, a window you can look through and, and watch them. And I noticed that their instructor had to leave the room for just a moment, and she told the kids to uh, remain quiet and seated on the floor and she left and immediately when she left they began to get up one after another and run around and get stuff out all except for one Ava Grace she was still sitting on the floor the only one remaining quiet for her instructor to return she even had a few girls try to tempt her to, to get up and, and, and join with them. And they even joked about her continuing to sit on the floor quietly, but she continued to sit there and she stayed quiet. And after practice, when we got in the car, I could tell that, that Ava was feeling a little bit down because she was tempted to get up and was made fun of for not rebelling. But I, I gave Ava a big hug and I, I assured her of this one thing. The right way is not always the easy way, but it's the best way. See, she minded her instructor, and ultimately her father, and though her friends mocked, get this, her father was pleased. You see where I'm going with this? If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 23. We're continuing our study in the book of Acts this morning. We're going to be looking at Paul's second address in Jerusalem to the Jews there. And we're going to see that though he was rejected by many in the city, by the non-believing Jews and a certain religious leader, and by a particular group of Jews, Paul's ministry and message was acceptable to the Lord. And we see this pattern over and over again in Paul's ministry. He has this certain calling on his life. He has been called by the Lord Jesus and he has been given this message by God. And though he encounters many in his travels who are standing against him, standing against God, and they reject Paul and they reject his mission and message, Paul remains faithful to his heavenly father faithful to his savior faithful to this calling and though at times he stands against mobs of people who reject him we learn over and over again that it's his faithfulness to God's mission and God's message and to God's calling that is what is acceptable to the Lord and that's all that matters to Paul and that should be all that matters to us believers. Listen, though man may reject our mission and our message, the question that really matters is whether or not what we do and say is acceptable to the Lord. That's the only real question. Well, I want to first look back at Acts 22 for just a moment. We were there last week. Then I want us to look at the first 11 verses of Acts chapter 23. And I want us to focus on how men rejected Paul. They rejected the man. They rejected his mission and his message. But then I want to end this passage the way Luke ends this passage in Acts 23, 1 through 11 by discussing how the Lord viewed Paul and his mission and message. Notice first that the unbelieving Jews rejected the scope Of Paul's mission. We talked a bit about this last week in Acts 22. Paul is in Jerusalem. He's been falsely accused by a group of non believing Jews from Asia. They accused Paul of bringing Trophimus from Ephesus, this Gentile, into a restricted area of the temple that was only for the Jews. They accuse him of this, but they falsely accuse Paul of this. And they go after Paul and they they find him in the temple. They drag him out of the temple, into the temple court, and they begin to beat on Paul and they want to kill him. But the Romans, the Roman soldiers, they notice what's going on. And to keep the peace, they rush to Paul's aid, though they don't know who he is at this time. They want to keep the peace in the city, so peace, everything remains peaceful in the empire. That's what the Romans valued. So they rush to Paul's aid. They pull him away till they can figure out who he is. They snatch him up. They're going to take him away to their fort, Fort Antonia, which was in Jerusalem, back to their barracks. But Paul, as they're taking him away, he asks them in Greek if he can address the crowd. And this surprises the Roman soldiers. They thought he was this rebel from Egypt, but when they heard him speaking in Greek, they knew he was someone different. And they allow him to do it, so he turns to the Jews in the crowd, and he begins to speak the language of the Hebrews, the language of the Jews, which at this time was Aramaic. And last week, we looked at Paul's message to them in Acts chapter 22. He begins by sharing his Christian testimony with them. He shares about his Jewish past first, how he was a zealous Pharisee who at one time he persecuted Christians. And then he transitions and tells them about his Christian conversion. While on the road to Damascus to snatch up more Christians to put into prison, he has an encounter with the risen Christ. And that leaves him blind and broken, but it also leads To his saving faith in Jesus. So Paul shares with them his past and his encounter with Jesus and his conversion. And then he tells them of another time when the risen Christ appears to him. And that's when he returns to Jerusalem from Damascus. Paul tells them in Acts chapter 22, verse 18 and 21 that Jesus appeared to him. Again, and he commissions him this time while he is in Jerusalem. And he tells Paul, get out of Jerusalem quickly because the Jews in Jerusalem will not accept your testimony about me. Then Jesus tells him, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And after that, after Paul shared with them that piece of information, we're told that the non-believing Jews in the crowd were furious. They they went crazy. Look at verse 22 of Acts 22 again. We're told this, up to this word they listened to him. Up to what word? Up until he said Jesus called him to go to the Gentiles, right? Up to then they were listening. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. They wanted to kill him for that statement. To think that God would call anyone, especially Paul, this this prominent Jew, to go and minister and share a message of God's salvation to the Gentiles, to think that God would allow for this uncircumcised pagan people to be a part of his kingdom without having first to go through Judaism was outrageous to many of the Jews at this time in the crowd. The unbelieving Jews, they rejected the scope of Paul's mission. Remember we said last week that this mob of, of Jews, they were a, a proud and selfish, jealous and entitled bunch. I mean, it, it made sense to them that salvation should be offered to them. They thought they, they deserved it because of who they were, because of the family they were born into and because of all the good things that they had done for God. But they were wrong. Remember we said last week that to be saved, you have to come to the realization that you are as much in need of salvation as any and everyone else. It's realizing that Christ has provided everything for us. That God is required of us. It's understanding that we bring absolutely nothing of worth to the table when it comes to salvation. Like the line in Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. That's the way we're to come. This group of Jews, they missed this. They rejected the scope of, of Paul's mission that he said Christ had called him to, they refused to acknowledge that Christ had opened up a way to salvation for the Gentiles. They refused to see that they did not deserve it. They refused to see that, that they were undeserving of this salvation. They refused to see that they had to trust in Christ alone for salvation. And they missed out on salvation themselves. And, and at this point, when they're hearing Paul share this, they're getting really, really angry. We're told they began to throw off their cloaks. They're throwing dirt up into the air, probably wishing they had a few stones to hurl at Paul. The Roman soldiers then picked Paul up, and they took him back to the barracks, and they're confused about what's just happened because Paul spoke to them in Aramaic. And we said last week there might have been some Romans in the crowd who understood Aramaic, but they were not listening with, with ears to hear and with hearts to listen. And they definitely weren't viewing what Paul had said through the lens of the Jewish people. All they knew was that Paul had shared this message and the Jews got very, very angry and there was chaos in the city and they didn't like that. They wanted to keep the peace. So they they bring Paul back to their barracks and they're going to flog him to get answers out of him. But then Paul reveals something very, very important about himself that changes everything. He reveals the fact that he is a first-class Roman citizen. He is a born citizen of Rome. And when the centurion, a centurion heard this, he was a leader of a of hundred Roman soldiers, he heard this, he reported to the tribune, this commanding officer of a thousand Roman soldiers, and they withdrew for from Paul for a second because they were, they were fearful. that if this goes any further, we're going to be in deep, deep trouble. And this day, it was against the law to beat a Roman citizen before they were tried. And I told some of y'all last week that I read where they were not even allowed to bind them without at least a preliminary trial. And they had already done that. And so in our text for today, we learn that that after receiving this piece of information, that Paul is a Roman citizen, they then follow protocol and they unbind him and they call an emergency meeting with the members of the Sanhedrin, this group of religious leaders in Jerusalem. Now remember, Paul's already talked to a group of Jews already. He's addressed them once and he's going to address a few of them again. The first time he addresses them, remember the non-believing Jews, they rejected the scope of Paul's Mission, But notice, Paul experiences more rejection here in the first few verses of Acts chapter 23. We learn here in the first 10 verses of this chapter that Paul is rejected by both the Jewish high priest and by an entire group of Jewish people. Notice first, the high priest rejected the testimony of Paul's life. So the the day before... The non-believing Jews rejected the scope of the Apostle Paul's ministry and mission. And the following day, Paul experiences more rejection. The high priest rejects Paul as well. Let's start by reading in Acts 22, verse 30, and we're going to read through Acts 23, verse 2. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he, the tribune, this commander of a thousand Roman soldiers, unbound Paul and commanded the chief priest and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. Chapter 23, verse 1. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. How nice. So on the next day, the Romans call this meeting with the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. They, they, They bring Paul to meet with them and Paul looks at the council. It doesn't look like they're going to say anything. Maybe they were too angry to even speak. And so Paul thinks, well, I'll I'll speak first then. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Now, I believe that Paul here is referring to his new life in Christ from the time he was converted on the road to Damascus until now. They accused him of being an enemy of Moses, an enemy of God's people, an enemy of the temple, and ultimately God's enemy. But Paul defends himself. He says, I have lived the life God has called for me to live. I have been faithful to do what God has called for me to do. And what has God called for Paul to do? Well, we learn about it in Acts 22, verses 14 and 15. Look at it. Look at what... God appointed Paul to do. God appointed him to know his will. And what is God's will? To see the righteous one. To see the Lord Jesus. And to hear a voice from his mouth, verse 15, and to be a witness for him to everyone. Paul had been faithful to do this, hadn't he? He had seen the risen Christ. He had been commissioned by him, and he had been a faithful witness for Jesus. And he says all that before these Jewish religious leaders, and then he says, therefore, because I've done this, my conscience is clean. And as he is saying this, as he's giving this testimony of his life, his new life in Christ, the high priest Ananias commands that Paul be struck in the mouth. And and notice Paul's response. Look at verses 3 through 5. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. He's hot, isn't he? And you, are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, this is a very, very interesting passage that Luke includes for us here. And there are a few different interpretations of what takes place here. Some believe Paul sins here. He messes up and then he confesses his sin in verse five. They believe that Paul loses his cool for a moment and and he reviles this high priest. He insults him and then composes himself and confesses that sin. And there are others who believe that Paul is not really sorry for what he said. He did not Take it back. He meant to speak this message of judgment against the high priest, and then in verse five, he's being sarcastic when they ask, "Would you revile God's high priest?" Paul says, "Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know he was God's high priest." And the reason why is because he's certainly not acting like it, striking me before I'm found guilty. Some believe that's what Paul's doing, and and if I'm honest, I kind of like that interpretation. In, in my flesh, you know. I kind of want Paul to respond in that way. But but if I'm being honest, I don't think that's the correct interpretation here, though no one is is for sure. I have a few reasons for believing this. One, it's important to note, Paul says he didn't know that the high priest had ordered him to be struck, and I don't believe he's being sarcastic there. I don't think Luke indicates that. This meeting was called at the last minute, so chances are good. The high priest didn't have time to get all done up in his, in his priestly garbs, and probably due to the fact that they were surrounding him, there was a lot of commotion and confusion. Paul did not know who ordered for him to be struck. If he, if he did know, he was lying when he says he didn't know, right? I believe Paul, in the heat of the moment, says what he does. After after having Paul hit in the face, and Paul uh, before Paul is found guilty, Paul, he gets personal. He gets angry, and he says, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Paul loses it for the moment, for, for just a moment. And if you've ever been hit in the face, you probably know that's easy to do, Right? someone were just to haul off and hit you, you might lose your cool as well. And I believe Paul does here. And he says, you whitewashed wall. And what he means here is he's referring to something that looks good on the outside, but is empty on the inside. Something that looks strong and sturdy and secure, but if you were to lean on it, it would just fall over. He's criticizing the condition of this man's heart and life spiritually, but is is doing so in anger. Though what he says is true, am I right? It's true what he's saying, he does so in anger. And the other Jews in the crowd, they call him out on it. They say, would you revile God's high priest? And that word revile means to verbally abuse someone. And whenever that word is used in the Bible, it's never good. It's never a good thing, which is why I believe Paul messes up here. And when I say God's high priest, when it says that, it does not mean this was a godly man. This just means this man was in a God-appointed position. And God has a lot to say in his word about people being submissive to those in God-ordained positions of authority, even if those in that position are not godly. Don't believe me, just read Romans 13. Paul spells it out for us. And Paul, he acknowledges this. Listen to what he says again in verse 5. He says, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. I love what, what I think Paul does here. After losing his cool, he immediately composes himself and submits to the word of God and apologizes. Boy, that is an incredibly spiritual thing to do, is it not? Paul condemned his actions in front of the whole court. He basically says, I've sinned, I'm sorry. He doesn't play ignorant. He doesn't say, I didn't know. You can't blame me for something I didn't know I did. He didn't do that, did he? He responded the way God would have him respond. He confesses his sin. He immediately put off that old man and responded in a God-honoring way. I love what John MacArthur uh, said about this. He said this. This is so good. He said, the next best thing to not sinning at all is to confess that sin immediately when you've done it and submit to the authority of the Word of God and turn from it. So true. So true. Paul does that here. He responds in the right way, in a God-honoring way, after he sinned. I wish I could say the same for those on the other side in this encounter, but I can't because they don't. They, along with their high priest, rejected Paul's... Testimony. They let their hard-heartedness and their hatred toward Paul and their desire to be right trump their desire to know what is true. Paul is, is telling them that his calling is from their God, the God of their fathers. He is telling them that their God has called for him to be a witness to them of the person and work of his son, Jesus, and they're not hearing it. The high priest doesn't even let Paul finish what he's saying before having him struck in the mouth. He, unlike Paul, he's not repentant about it. And believers, many respond to our message in this way, the Christian message. Now, they may not hit us in the mouth. I don't know if that's ever happened to any of y'all. But have you ever been sharing with someone and the moment they know it's going toward Jesus, they begin to tense up. You ever have that happen? And even they—they they, they might even shut you down, or—or—or or, or they get—they get angry. Listen, you need to pray for that individual that God would intervene in their life as he did in Paul's life. You need to pray that God would do what he did for Paul. Remember Stephen prayed that God would be merciful to those who persecuted him and he was to Paul. We need to pray that God would be merciful to them, that he would soften and change their hard and calloused hearts. Don't get defensive. Don't personally insult them. Don't get angry, but pray for them that God would change change their heart. Pray that God will give you more opportunities to share God's gospel with them and pray that God would save them. That's the proper response. So the the unbelieving Jews rejected the scope of Paul's mission. The Jewish high priest rejected the testimony of Paul's life. Notice also that the Sadducees rejected the central aspect of Paul's teaching. That's the next point. The Sadducees rejected the central aspect of Paul's teaching. Look at verses 6 and 7. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, so he knows both's in the crowd, right? That's important for you to remember. He cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead, that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Now this is another very, very interesting thing that Luke mentions for us here, that he records for us here. Notice that that when Paul does finally address the group, he divides the group. He knew that there were both Pharisees and Sadducees in the group and he says, I am a Pharisee and a son of Pharisees. And at this point, I'm sure some of the Pharisees in the crowd were probably thinking, well, this guy might not be so bad. Let's hear what he has to say. And then he sort of sides with them even a bit more by saying, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Now though it was the accusations made about Paul that he had brought a Gentile named Trophimus into a restricted Jewish-only area of the temple that angered this mob, and Paul's testimony that the risen Christ had called for him to go and minister to the Gentiles that upset them even more and led them to want to kill him, though they disliked, Paul the person, they disliked the man, they disliked the scope of his ministry. We also learn here that there were some in the crowd who were opposed to Paul's message as well. And what was Paul's message? The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? that Christ had died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This message also upset many. And Paul addresses this issue that they have with him. He says, it is with respect to the hope that I have in Jesus and the resurrection that I look forward to in him because he's been raised, that I'm on trial. It is this message and my ministry For Christ, that's the reason why I stand before you today. Now, that's what he meant, but notice he doesn't exactly say it in that way. It's very interesting. Notice the words he uses. He says, it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. He doesn't speak of Jesus' resurrection there specifically, though he meant Jesus, right? Notice he just mentions the resurrection in general. Paul is doing something unique here. He is aligning himself a bit with the Pharisees against the Sadducees. And Luke tells us that when Paul did this, the assembly was divided. Why? We'll look at verse 8. For the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Now, I know we've talked about this before in here, but it needs to be mentioned again. There were some major differences between these two groups of Jews, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were like the liberals of the day. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible that they were from God and and they did not believe in life after death, no spirits, no angels, no nothing. The Pharisees... Believed in the whole of the Old Testament. They were the fundamentalists. They were theologically conservative as far as Jews go. They, Luke says, acknowledged them all. And though these two groups had to work alongside each other, they were constantly at odds. In fact, The only time you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees working together in Scripture is when they oppose Jesus, and most of the time when they oppose his followers, except for right here. Look at what happens. Luke says the assembly was divided after Paul spoke. Look at verse 9. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. Isn't that amazing? What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? Now notice they don't acknowledge that Christ commissioned Paul, but they do leave the door open for a spirit or an angel to speak with Paul. I believe to jab at the Sadducees, to get at them. Look at verse 10. And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away once again, may I add, from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. This is very, very interesting. Now, Paul being a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee had to know that these words that he spoke would have this result Result here, Right? So the question we need to ask is, why does he do it? Well, we're not told for sure, but I believe it is to bring an end to this trial because he knows he's not getting anywhere with them. I mean, he shared his testimony with them the day before, and when he tried to make an appeal again, they responded by having him struck in the face. He knew that nothing was going to change, so he stirs up this crowd He sides a bit with the Pharisees and it has the desired result. They side with Paul and the Sadducees want to kill him all the more. And it gets violent and the Romans pull Paul away so he's not pulled apart in the midst of this. And I want you to notice here, regardless of Paul's reasoning, I want you to notice this. The Sadducees, they rejected Paul's doctrine. Why? Why? Simple, because it didn't jive with theirs. They were set in their ways. They were not even willing to consider an alternative. And they were zealous about it, weren't they? They were passionate about what they believed, though what they believed was wrong. And we're reminded, once again, we're reminded of this all the way through the book of Acts, that you can be passionately wrong in what you believe. You can be passionately in the wrong. Our society says otherwise, but we know, scripturally, that this is the case. Paul here acknowledges the fact that he was a Pharisee. He believed in the resurrection of the dead. He was raised the son of a Pharisee with this conviction. And as a Christian, he had come face to face with this reality, with the truth of the resurrection. The risen Christ had appeared to him and he had been saved and he has a promise of this future resurrection in Jesus. But the Sadducees, they were not hearing it. They were set in their ways, zealous and sincere in what they believed, though what they believed was wrong. Their minds had been darkened, their hearts had been hardened to the truth. They were set in their ways, and there was no amount of truth that was going to change their hearts and minds. So notice here, once again, Paul is rejected by them as well. The non-believing Jews rejected the scope of Paul's mission. The The Jewish high priest rejects the testimony of Paul's life, and the Sadducees rejected the central aspect of Paul's teaching. That's a lot of rejection, isn't it? Paul had to endure quite a bit of that in his life and ministry. And I bet after having to endure all of that and being taken back to the barracks by himself, Paul was probably having a tough time emotionally. That's a lot to take when you have what it seems like to be the the majority of people standing against you. But notice who comes to Paul's aid in his time of need. Luke tells us, though he was rejected by the non-believing Jews in Jerusalem and the high priest and an entire group of Jewish people, we see in verse 11, here's the last point here, Christ approved of Paul's life and message and mission. Look at verse 11, this is great. The following night, the Lord Stood beside him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So notice here that Jesus comes to Paul while he is in the Roman barracks at night when Paul is all alone and he stood by him. Just let that sink in for just a minute, believers. Listen. In your darkest, most difficult of times, the Lord is with you. He is. Did you know that? The dark storms that we have to go through, the difficult trials that we have to endure, God is with us. The Lord Jesus is with us. He has promised to be with us always. Here we have him standing with Paul, and notice he speaks. He says, take courage, cheer up Paul, I'm not done with you yet. He reminds Paul, I'm the one who is in control here and we're going to learn next week that he's going to prove that to be the case. And he says, just as you have been faithful to testify about me in Jerusalem, you're going to do it in Rome, Paul. You're going to be my witness in Rome. So take courage, cheer up, be comforted by the fact that I'm here with you and I have more for you to do for me. And and believers, that's Christ's message for us as well. Do you realize that? Maybe you're going through a dark and difficult time. Maybe because of your faith in Christ, people have distanced themselves from you and you feel rejected and alone. Maybe it feels as if the Lord has left you in your time of need. Listen, I want you to never forget this. This is true from God's Word. The Lord is with you always. He's with you always, believers, standing beside you. And he is not done with you as long as there is still breath in your lungs and life in your bones. He's not finished with you. And he wants to use you in the midst of the storms of this life for God and for his glory and for his kingdom purposes. That is biblical truth. What we're called to do is to respond like Paul. Paul. We're to continue to be faithful. We're to continue to look to Christ and trust in Christ and be a witness for Christ and to serve Christ no matter what. No matter what. That's to be our response. In the good times and in the bad, we're to trust Christ. We're to serve Christ. We're to proclaim the message of the gospel. Well, in closing this out, let me say this. This morning we've been talking about the importance of living a life that is pleasing to the Lord, even if that means being rejected by the world. And a lot of times it does. Let me ask you this. Where are you on this? Do you deep down just want to be embraced by the world for a time? Do you deep down just desire the applause of men For just a moment, let me ask you this. Do you want to be embraced by the Lord of heaven and earth forever? Wasn't a question for Paul. And I pray it isn't for you. But maybe you're here this morning if you're being honest. You're not there. You're here this morning. You're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. Christ is not your treasure as we talked about last week. You're loved by the world, but scripturally, you're set against God in your sin. If this is you, I pray things change for you this morning. I pray that you turn from your sin. You forsake the ways of the world. You forsake the vain and empty applause of men. You forsake your ways, the ways of your wicked and rebellious heart. And I pray you turn from your sin. You give your life up and over to the Lord Jesus and be saved because get this, only in him, listen, only in him is their life eternal. Only in Christ is their joy everlasting. Let's pray.